0: Well, I want to uh, talk a little bit about adoption, but I want to do it within the context of the spirit of comparison. And I don't know about you, but I was introduced to the spirit of comparison at an early age, and uh, it came through my friend Philip. You don't know Philip? Philip was a a young guy who we were inseparable. We, We did everything together. I mean, we we cried when ET couldn't find home together. I, I, I mean, well, we didn't admit crying, obviously. You know, we were. So what's that in your eye? You know, we didn't admit crying, but we we cried together. We laughed when Philip's younger brother, for no known reason, in the middle of the garden, dropped his trousers and his pants and did a number two in the middle of our. <laughs> We, it's, a, it's an image that I'm trying to forget, but it's still with me 40 years later. We laughed together, and, and we, we cycled everywhere. We had our races, and we cycled everywhere around the area we lived, everywhere we would cycle, and uh, we both had kind of races. They were a bit old and battered, but they were, they were good. They were solid bikes, and we went everywhere. And we also envied together the, the rally grifter. Now some of you will not be familiar with the rally grifter but before all this modern mountain bike shenanigans <laughs> there was a bike when there were just racers and those other bikes with the basket on the front i mean who wanted one of the i know ladies sorry no disrespect but when there were just those two bikes there came into being a creation so ingenious and so beautiful that no man had comprehended it before it was called the rally grifter the frame was shiny the, 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 the handlebars were upright and manly. <laughs> the tires were studded. I mean, who'd thought of that before? On a bike, of all things. And we love the Rally Grifter, but particularly for one feature, it had wing mirrors. The first edition had chrome wing mirrors. When you were on your grifter, you did not need to look behind like those other losers. No! (laughs) You just looked in your wing mirrors and you were on a grifter and everyone knew it. Now, one day, Philip phoned me and said, Could he come over? I sensed a little bit of excitement in his voice, more than normal perhaps, and I said, Yeah, sure. So he was coming over and I looked out of my front window down the the drive, uh, down the, the road that was opposite our house, and I saw Philip coming. And then suddenly I saw something that made my heart sink. I saw a glint above the handlebar, and it could only mean one thing. At first I was in denial, surely not, surely not. But as it got closer, I realized it was true. Philip, for Christmas, had received a rally grifter. And the spirit of comparison was born right there in my heart. As I looked at my fairly old racer and Phillips rally grifter, and I realized I was jealous of the grifter. The spirit of comparison comes in at a young age, doesn't it? The spirit of comparison affects us in every era. I I went to the gym a few months ago, and as I went in, the the weights machine has these kind of levels, and you put your pin in as to what weight you want to lift, and this machine that I always go to I I have always set on the same weight. And uh, I went in, and a guide got off just as I arrived at the machine, and the pin was way lower than I'd ever put it. And I looked around, (laughs) and I thought to myself, am I moving that pin? I am not moving that pin. (laughs) That pin is staying right where it is, and I'm lifting that weight. So I got on there, checking no one was watching, and I gave in my all. Yeah! Ah, And it did move a a fraction. (laughs) It might have been the it might have been the 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 flex in the machinery. I'm not sure, but it certainly certainly moved. Spirit of comparison, ladies, you haven't seen a friend for a long time. She arrives, and in the top three things that come into your mind, maybe not number one, maybe not number two, but certainly number three, has she lost weight? Come on, don't deny it. It's in there. Has she lost weight? And it can go one of three ways. One of three ways is how it can go. If you have lost weight since you last saw her and she has lost weight, you are both, it's great to see you. You look great. No, you look great. We both look great. And you embrace and it's a wonderful reunion. Yes? It could go another way, not quite as good, which is where you have lost weight and she has gained weight. And then you say she says it's great to see you you look so good and you say and how are you (laughs) am i right or am i right or the worst scenario is this where she has lost weight and you have gained weight no it's the nightmare no this is not how i wanted to go and of course if she's come over to dinner what do you say well have a slice of cheesecake, why won't you? I've, I've been cooking this all day. You must, you must, I <laughs> insist. It's the spirit of comparison, isn't it? It is alive in our hearts, alive and well. What does the Bible have to say? Paul, uh, Phil read it at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1, slightly different translation. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belonged to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He he showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. You may have heard the term, even if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, you may have heard the term being born again. It's a term that Christians use a lot about becoming a Christian. But did you know that the Scripture of the Bible has far, far more to say about this, what we're talking about this morning, adoption, than it ever says about being born again? Adoption is one of the massive themes used to describe what it means to become a Christian, what it means to be born into God's new family. But I want us just to take a moment to understand what was Paul thinking when he, when he wrote about adoption because the, the, he wrote in the context of, of uh, a Roman culture and his letters that he writes to particularly Roman cities are the ones that speak most of adoption. We know that's what he had in mind was this Roman right of adoption. Now, I need a couple of volunteers to help me here. I need a, a lady and a guy to come and help me down, down the front here. Carol or Carol, we need some frustrated drama students. We need a guy to come and stand with Carol. Come on, Hi. come on. <laughs> Phil's not volunteering, even when his wife begs him to come. Come on, I need a guy. Come on, Nick. Oh, come on, we're here now. Oh I need, Nick, I still need you, I still need you. So here we have Phyllis and Carolus. <laughs> hey, now. I know what you're thinking, this is Rome, this is 50 BC, we are missing something, and that's exactly what I thought this morning. At 8.30 when I said to Steve, I need five togas. <laughs> I asked Steve for five togas, and he came up with this, which I think, you know, could try harder. Come on, five togas. So this is the best we've got for togas, okay? So Carolus, if you can put that, put that on as a, a kind of toga, is that, is that okay? Yeah. At least it kind of helps us with the, with the scene. Have we got got some more togas down there? Okay, Phyllis, you'll need a a toga as well. Okay, so are you there? Are you right back in there? You're Rome, you're 50 BC, you're Phyllis, you're Carolus, you're... Okay, we're there. Thank you, Phil. Very good. Okay, very good, yes. (laughs) Yep. Okay, keep the day job, but that's good. So now, so Phyllis and Carolus, they are a lovely, lovely couple, aren't they? Aren't they just lovely? They're just lovely. And... But the... the All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, I well, ask. <yeah>, that's good. <laughs> the problem is, though, that they have tried, and Lauren and Sam, forgive us for this, but they have tried and tried to have children, and they cannot. They cannot have any children. Now, the problem is they have everything. They have the, the pool, they have the cherub kind of statue things, they have the pillars, they have the lot, but they have no kids. They have no one who can inherit from them. What do they do? What they would do is this. They have a slave <laughs> who also needs a toga. let see if you can do a better job with that, uh, Nick. Uh, they, have a, they have a slave, and he has a fine, upstanding son. Son. So their slave... Uh, we'll, we'll call you Nicholasus <laughs> has a fine up, so I need a volunteer I need a fine upstanding uh, specimen of a, of a son come on. come on out you come come on come on no one's, no one's volunteering here come on Matt now Mattus Stay with me. Is Nicholasus's is fine son, and what he needs a toga. Sorry, you're right. He needs a toga. Yeah, he needs a toga. What would happen is that Phyllis and Caralus would approach Nicholasus and would say, "Well, I wish you'd picked a different name." Would say, "Will you? Will you?" allow us to adopt your son. You might think, well, why, why would Nicholas adopt Mattis out? Now, the thing is this. Nicholas has been a slave all his life, and his father was a slave, and his grandfather was a slave. There is no escape for anyone from this family line until something like this happens. And so, actually, this is the most loving, loving thing to do. Now, he has got a fine specimen of a son. I think you'll agree. He is, he is muscular. Come on, Matt. Yeah. He's got great teeth. Come on, Matt. Yeah. He's a fine specimen. So they would see his son and think, this is the kind of guy we want to inherit our fortune. And so what they would all, they would all go down to the magistrate with a third party. Marco, us. Now, they didn't all end in us, I don't think. So what would happen is that at the magistrates, Nicholas would... Us, would sell Mattus to Marcos. <laughs> sell him. Sell him. Agree a good price. He's a fine. Say Marcusus would, ma- ma- would look, yep, very good. And then he would buy him back. You'd buy him back. You was shocked then, weren't you? are really getting into this. It's like you're living this. And then he would sell him again. And then he would buy him back again. Oh, you're really loving this, aren't you? And then he would sell him for a third time. (laughs) (laughs) And then he would buy him back. Now, the reason for all this shenanigans is this, that there was a Roman law which said to stop fathers doing this with their boys, because often when they were destitute, the only thing they had that was worth anything was their kids. So they would sell their kids to other people and then buy them back when they got out of debt. To stop that happening over and over again, I mean, I mean, how are you feeling, Mattis? It's not a good feeling, is it? No, it's so gutted. And to stop that happening, there was a Roman law that said if you sold your son three times, you no longer had any authority or rights over him whatsoever. He was free from your parental control. Mattis, you are free from the des- desperate control of your father. And then he was free to be adopted into another family and welcomed into the family of Phyllis. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's have a little, little group hug here, a little family hug. Come on, Carolus. Greet him like your long lost son. <laughs> And he was free now to be adopted and to inherit their entire estate as if he were a natural-born son. Let's thank our Roman (laughs) citizens. It starts to paint the picture, doesn't it? I hope, I hope that was helped to paint the picture of what Paul understood by adoption was that when you were adopted, you broke all ties with your previous family. You were totally removed from any control and authority of your previous family and were brought into a brand new family. So much so were you identified with this new family that a few years before Paul was writing this, Nero, who had been the, 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 the psychopathic emperor that you'll know of, was adopted by Claudius as his son, as an adult, just like this. And Nero, when he was adopted, after he was adopted by Claudius, wanted to marry Claudius' daughter, his natural daughter, Octavia. But of course, now Nero, even though he wasn't blood-related to Octavia, was actually seen as Octavia's brother, so much so that people were like, oh, you can't do that. You can't marry your sister. Nero was a bit sick in the head. You can't marry your sister, but he wanted to, so they actually changed the Roman laws to enable you to marry your sister. That's how much they identified an adopted son as a natural-born son of the family. That's how they saw it. What are the benefits for us then? You're like, Simon, where is this going? What are the benefits for us then of adoption? This is what Paul says. Firstly, you have a new father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm going to my father and your father. You are brought into a new family with a new father, and he is a good father, as we've been singing about. I went to church all of my life. I saw God as this distant tyrant at best, uh, uh, one who was waiting for me to fail, one who was waiting to black me over the head when I made a mistake. And then I went to a church similar to this. I was there on a Sunday morning, and at the end, they said, would you like us to pray? And I stood for prayer. I held out my hands as they said, and nothing happened. And then someone walked up to me and they began to pray. We pray that this young man starts to see God as his father. And do you know what happened? My right hand began to shake. It was strange. I was like, "Stop it, It's embarrassing. Why are you shaking? Stop it, Stop it, stop it. But the hand was shaking. for no reason that I could discern. Apart from this, as I understand later, God's power began to come on me. And as it did, I suddenly began to weep from the depths of my being. And I wept and wept and wept as I realized for the first time it was a revelation. The Father loves me. Yeah. The Father loves me. You received a new Father. Secondly, you fit. How many of you have the voice of, in your head of the spirit of comparison when you walk into a room, even maybe when you walked in this morning, that says you do not fit. You do not fit. In your workplace, in your school, the voice was over and over. You don't fit. You don't fit. You don't fit. And you hear it echoing, echoing, whatever. You're the wrong size. You're the wrong shape. You're the wrong intelligence. You're the wrong color. Whatever it might be, you don't fit. And yet Paul says this, even before he made the world, God chose us. He chose you. You know, this is what all good adopted. A friend of mine who adopted a child, and that child was beginning to think, do I fit, you know, my, our other kids are natural born, but I would, and they would say to her, they would say, we chose you. We chose you. We picked you out. We chose you. Other, our other kids, we didn't have a choice, but with you, we chose you. You fit. Because God chose you even before the creation of the world. Feel free to get happy at any point. You know, my, my uh, uh, nephew, my s- sister-in-law's Uh, adopted a son, and he was from China, he came into the family. Nate, I've probably told you this story before, before. and Caroline, when he was about five or six, after he'd been in the family about a year, you see the family photos, and in, in American family photos, and I say this with my mother-in-law and wife here, I've never understood it, but everyone dresses the same in American family photos. It's just the way they roll. It's just the way they like. You just have to go with it. You just have to wear the T-shirt, and even though you're British, you're just happy. And, and, and you <laughs> <laughs> So you see their family photo... You see their family face and they're all dressed the same and Nate is there, they're all kind of blonde with you know a blonde or brown hair, pale skin, and Nate is there with his same outfit and he's Chinese. You've got a brown face, Chinese eyes, he's Chinese. And he's, he's in this family. And Caroline went over there a year after or so after he uh, had been in the family and she said to him, Nate, do you still remember any Chinese? Do you still speak? And he said, he looked at her real stern, he said, How you know I China? <laughs> How you know? But well, I love that story because it illustrates something, doesn't it? Oh, for every believer in every church in every nation to get that in their hearts. How do you know that I don't fit? I fit. <laughs> he so had the revelation in his heart that he fit. It was a. It was a. Re- he was part of this. He was part of a new family. He fits. And wherever he went, he was part of that family. Now, shouldn't that be our inheritance? You fit. And last, and thirdly, our failings. It says this, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, we're straying over into the doctrine of justification of our sin here, but I want to say it's a little bit more than that because this is not just a legal term that Paul uses. You have been justified for your sins. He says, you have been shown holy and without fault in his eyes. It's a relational term, isn't it? It's a term of a father to a son, a mother to a daughter. It's a relational term. You fit... And your failings are not seen in the same way. The best illustration of this was that Caroline and I heard years ago changed our marriage was by a guy called Jack Taylor. And uh, he wrote this. I had an interruption one morning. A woman who looked a sight like she hadn't slept all night. She said, I can't live with my husband anymore. If something doesn't happen, we're through. I said, do you think he'll meet with me? She said, I think he will, but he won't be honest. I've never heard him get honest with anyone talking about us. I said, well, let's see. And they came to my house that afternoon, and I was talking. I said, come on then, George, let's get honest. And, and what's the problem? And George said, well, she's just dumb. He says, I'm amazed that she can live with me as long as she's lived and not be any more intelligent than she is. He said, in essence, she's a big, fat, dumb slob. That's what he said. And she was right sitting there. And I thought to myself, if that isn't honest, I don't know what honest is. I listened for a bit longer and I said, George, did the preacher ask you, do you take this woman to be your wife? He said, yes, he did. I said, what did you say? George said, I do. I said, George, you lied to that preacher, didn't you? George says, what do you mean? I said, you took her, but you never really did receive her as your wife. You've never accepted her. He said, what are you talking about? I've been married to her for 27 years. I began to share this principle. You never really received her as a gift from God. You thought to yourself, I'm going to sort her out, and then I'll receive her. I'll get her to lose some weight. I'll get her to be a little bit more intelligent, and then I'll receive her. I said, George, do you believe that your wife is a gift from God? George says, I do. I said, I've heard you gripe about what God's given you. George, you've been accusing God of giving you junk, but God don't give no junk. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is a gift from God. George stopped me. He said, my wife is not perfect. I said, in whose eyes is she not perfect? He said, in my eyes. And I said, and you've been looking through the wrong eyes. I said, did Jesus Christ get what he went out to get on the cross or didn't he? Did he succeed or did he fail? Did he have in mind bringing sons to the Father, changing them into his image? God sees the end from the beginning. The moment we receive Christ as Savior, we're accepted among the beloved and adopted into his family. We are looked upon by God as holy and without blame before him in love. He sees the end from the beginning and loves us on that basis. He knows how it's going to turn out. If you look at your wife through those eyes and see the finished work and not look through your physical eyes and wonder if it's ever going to turn out all right, it will change your attitude to your wife, George. What I mean to say is this, George, you can receive her on the same basis that God has received her. God saw your wife as holy, perfect and without blame in Christ and in love he received her. That's what Paul meant when he said receive one another even as Christ to the glory of God has received you. Why has Christ received you? On the basis that you are perfect? No. On what basis? On the basis that he got what he went after on the cross. On your side, it's still becoming, but on God's side, it's as if it's already done. You look at your wife... Through those eyes, and you're going to see a different sight. Well, by this time, George is on the couch almost in apoplexy. He said, carry on. I think I'm getting it. I said, the fact is, George, if she's God's gift to you, she's perfect for you. She's so perfect that even her so-called imperfections are perfectly designed by God to work on your imperfections and yours on hers. George cried out, why hasn't someone told me this before? I said, I've only just found out myself. (laughs) I said... George, are you willing to receive your wife as a gift from God? He said, I am. I said to his wife, you rejected him on the basis that he rejected you. Would you be willing to receive him? She said, I will. Their marriage was transformed from that moment. Will you allow God to receive you with all your failings so that you can go out and receive others? on the same understanding. Caroline and I had a night one time when we sat down after hearing that and looked at each other in the eye and we received one another, not based on how we could change each other, but on the same basis that we had been received in Christ. It affects our family. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. It affects our favour. This is what he wanted It gave him great pleasure, the glorious grace he has poured out on us. Have you noticed that That sometimes you look around and you see people and you think, God, they've got more favor than me. I was reading about a couple last year. They won the lottery three times in a month. They won a million dollars. A few days later, they did a scratch card and won $50,000. And two weeks later, they did the lottery again and won for a third time and won another million dollars in a month. The spirit of comparison makes you look around and think, they've got more favor, they've got more favor, they've got more favor, but it's a lie. Because Paul says this, he says, this is what he wanted. It gave him great pleasure, the glorious grace he has poured out on us. You can't get more favor than having the God of the universe pleased with you. The God of the universe pouring His grace, His undeserved favor on you. You cannot get more favor than that. You cannot get more favor than that. It affects our face value. Notice that. He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son. All the time we have these voices saying, you're of lower value, you're less intelligent, you're not as good looking, you're not as wealthy, you're not this, you're basically what it's summed up as, you're of lower value. When that voice comes to you, I want you to give it two fingers. The, 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 Christ, the Christian two fingers. <laughs> Some of you were worried there for a moment, weren't you? I want you to give it two fingers and say, at the cross, Christ paid for me with his blood. You cannot get more valuable than that. You cannot get more valuable than that. I risk being horribly misquoted at that point. (laughs) And lastly, our future. This is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Isn't that what the voice says? Their future looks brighter than yours. Their future looks better than yours. Your future looks this. Your future looks that. I'm adopted. My future is secure. I am caught up in the glorious plan of Christ, which will be worked out across the universe. I don't know what it's going to look like, but man, it's going to be good. Man, it is going to be good. Our father, our fit, our failings, our family, our favor, our face value, our future. Paul didn't know it, but he made them all start with F in English amazing how that works. (laughs) This is the point. Adoption doesn't just change something, it changes everything. (laughs) That's what happened, does not it, in this story. It didn't just change something, it changed everything for that young man. His old family, he was cut off from and he was brought into a new family. It didn't just change something, it changed everything. How do we respond to this? Let your thinking align with these truths. When that voice of the spirit of comparison comes to you, you give it two fingers of the cross, and you remind that voice of the truth of who you are now in this new family. If you're not yet a believer, then this is a great opportunity for you to come into that family. It's easy. There's nothing you have to do. Christianity is not a great big do. It's a great big done. It's already done. It's already done. Christ has paid. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the entrance to this family. That's the price. It's already been paid. Secondly, receive others in the same way that you have been received. You know, For those who work on the project, that's the, the one-on-one for working with the homeless. Some of those who've been most uh, battered by life, is to see them through the eyes of who they are. Even though many of them aren't believers, when we meet them, we see them through the eyes of who God made them to be and we treat them accordingly and it changes their lives. Oh, that we could all treat one another like that. (laughs) Isn't it sometimes easier to treat the the, the poorest in that way but not our brothers and sisters sitting next to us, not our own spouses, not our own kids? Oh, we can talk to one another and treat one another and build a family on that basis, that we receive one another. It doesn't mean we don't challenge. It doesn't mean that we don't confront, but what it means is that it comes from a heart of, you're better than this. I believe in this for you. Something about this will change us. And lastly, consider adoption and fostering. That is why what we've done today is not alien, it's not stuck on, it's a natural overflow of who we are because we're all adopted. And so, therefore, the overflow is that we naturally can adopt and foster that. God calls some specifically to, to that, and we want to support that as a church family, and many of you may be being spoken to this morning. What do Ingrid Bergman, Jesse Jackson, Sarah McLaughlin, Steve Jobs, Jamie Foxx, Marilyn Monroe, and Nelson Mandela all have in common? They were all adopted. Every single one of them, and some of them, all of them had great influence. Some of them went on to change the world of millions around, there is great value out there in every life, and our calling as the church, shouldn't the church be the, the greatest place on, on earth for the council to say, we need more foster families? We need more adoption, adoptive families. There are 50,000 churches in the UK, even if every church just took one, we would wipe the adoption and fostering problem off the planet, and I hope we can, play, we can take many many more than that as families to together. Amen.